Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, but I'm sure you already heard that in the intro. If you are new to the show, welcome. We are all about pushing the boundaries of our healthcare paradigms, whether that be business models, organizational structures, service delivery techniques or methodologies. We're all about trying to do basically what is the in the best interest of our patients in order to promote better clinical outcomes, but also to make healthcare human again. That's what one of the things that I'm very, very passionate about is putting the focus of healthcare back to where it should be, which is ultimately the patients, the people that we serve, whether you're a, a clinician, a boots on the ground clinician, or whether you're an administrator or executive on, on a leadership team at a, in a healthcare system or hospital, really we are only around and we only have jobs because we are meant to serve, meant to, meant to uh, care for those that come to our clinics, right? Um, and if you want any more information about that, we had a great conversation with Larry Benz, who wrote a book called Called to Care on one of these previous episodes. You can scroll through the archive at uh, betteroutcomes.show and find it. It was a really, really great interview all about uh, making healthcare more personal again through practicing empathy and, and positive psychology and that sort of stuff. It was a great show. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it if you haven't. Anyways. On the docket today is a conversation I had a while back with another occupational therapist named Ian Opel. Now, he is the uh, chief clinical officer at Restore Skills. Now, Restore, and we'll talk about it a little bit in the forthcoming interview, but it is a web-based platform that basically gamifies rehab treatments. Um, so they're primarily focused on the, uh, the skilled nursing facility, so the SNF, uh, the geriatric population, but this, the technology kind of outgrew out of uh, a pediatric uh, model. So this is one of those things that kind of spans the, the life cycle, if you would, the, the lifespan of, of humans. So we talk a little bit about Restore Skills and some of the ins and outs of the, that software in particular, but really what I wanted to focus with him on and what we talked about a lot was how do we get clinicians to adopt new technologies or new treatment methods or new anything, really? Um, if you've been in healthcare for a while, like I have and like Ian has been, you've likely come across a clinician somewhere, whether it was somebody that you were supervising or somebody that you were working with, who at the end of the day just was stuck in their ways and didn't want to change. Um, so we, we talked a little bit about that in particular, in Ian's role, he's trying to help some of these organizations that are getting started with Restore, get them up up and running and utilizing the software and seeing the benefits. And one of the things he, he runs into <laughs> is clinicians not finding the value or not seeing the use in it. 
And when you dig down into it, a lot of times it's just they're not willing or not wanting to change what they're doing. So we talked a little bit about that. And uh, I thought it was an interesting conversation. Hopefully you find some value out of it. So without any further ado, here's Ian Opal from Restore Skills having a conversation about how we, we drive clinicians to adopt new technologies. Hey, Ian, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fantastic, Rafi. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, thanks for being part of what we're doing here. So for those who don't know you, give us a little background about yourself uh, and what brings you to what you're doing today, which is working in tech. Well, most importantly, my background is that I'm an occupational therapist, have been for 25 years. Um, clinically, my passion has always been dementia-capable care. Uh, so 20 years, I've been certified as a dementia-capable therapist. And uh, it taught me early on the importance of, of having a person-centered approach. And so I, I had to learn when I was working with individuals with dementia that it's important that you learn their interests, habits, tendencies, preferences, work history, family history, to gain their trust and agreement before even being able to do anything clinically. Why am I giving you that, that intro is, is I had no idea I would become so well-rooted in person-centered care. And over the years, I had a career both in operations, uh, clinical, and, and I've seen a real drop-off in a person. Even though we talk more about it, I've seen a real, real drop-off clinically of therapists today engaging their patients uh, for the best possible experience to get the best possible outcomes. So about a year ago, I stepped away from the uh, operations side and invested in the digital health field and have been working on developing a product called Restore Skills, where today I'm, I'm serving as the chief clinical officer for this new technology. Awesome. Cool deal. And um, so I guess we'll just talk about Restore for a little bit. So what is Restore Skills? And how do we use it or how do you use it? Yeah, yeah. So Rafi, you know, one of the things I really enjoyed was always trying to bring something new and engaging to the clinics in which I worked. I tried the Wii and I tried some other products that would make therapy more fun, um, you know, while also giving me the opportunity to work on, on skill building. And yet I had problems because if somebody else was using the Wii, I couldn't get on it. Yeah. Or if I had a patient who didn't want to come down to therapy, I wasn't going to take apart the Wii and go set it up in their room and then move it. And obviously with our pandemic, no, nobody's yeah. doing that these days. So Restore um, is the first web-based program that's intended to gamify skill building. So as long as you can have an internet connection and a device with a webcam, you can turn it into a skill building station that works on mobility, range of motion, coordination, cognition, life skill readiness, and more. And as many people can be on it at the same time, they can all go to patient rooms. If they are able to bring somebody down to the therapy gym or to the uh, activities day room, they can be connecting to a big screen TV and, and having a great session there. But once again, I think it's the importance of giving people an on-demand access to skill building uh, through a device that many people are already using in their day um, and, and being able to have patients instead of reaching for a cone or raising their arm up 10 times or you know just trying to, to, to stand up out of there and still let's have them pull a slot machine handle you know let's ski yeah, down yeah. a ski race let's fly a plane i mean let's do the things that we all enjoy doing and and why should we deprive older adults from that same level of engagement yeah no that's awesome and the idea of gamifying it really is like you can get a patient who might 
tell you, no, I'm not going to do 10 reps of that exercise and you can get them to do five minutes of a game, right? Yeah. They, they don't realize that it's therapy. So we might have somebody who doesn't want to do the kinds of skill training that's necessary to carry over to getting dressed or brushing their teeth or getting out of bed and, and walking because it is, I mean, when you're clinically compromised, you, you, you know, you, you don't want to do those things. And even though, you know, you have to, but if I knew that I was going to be able to get up and not only play a slot machine, but potentially play and have my spouse or my grandson on the other side, who's additionally motivating me, playing with me and encouraging me, even though they can't visit these days. Uh, wow, I think that's, that's the ultimate motivation for a lot of our patients um, who, who, who don't want to get out of bed or otherwise aren't really interested in the same old cookie cutter therapy. Yeah, no, and I think, you know, we, we talked last time about cookie cutter therapy and all that, and it kills me, but it is funny that even though, like, I guess at a marketing level, everybody's talking about patient-centered care, and we're all about the patient, we're all about the client, but then in the day-to-day, we're really, we're really not, right? <laughs> we're cramming people into some kind of protocol or something. It's so, it's so difficult, and I empathize as a clinician. Um, as I said, yes, I, we, got a, we got a holiday coming up uh, uh, soon, Halloween. I would have been that therapist who brought in a pinata, maybe a spider or ghost pinata and filled it up with sugar-free candy <laughs> yeah. and worked on dynamic standing balance, having, the, having patients take wax at the pinata and then ultimately an item retrieval activity by picking up the sugar-free candy off the ground and putting it in little pumpkins that they were. And then I realized, well, I, got, I still have you know, eight more people to treat today and I got to get through my day or I'm going to get. So it kind of forced me into the idea of, well, I might just bat a balloon quickly with this patient because I can grab it, or I'm going to put somebody on this exercise bike, not really because it was the best thing to select, but I got to get through my day. Yeah. So yeah. I think we want, we want less of that. We want less of people having to uh, select less engaging and contrived activities and, and getting back into the, the spirit of of, of fun and engagement because you never know where that session is going to take you and you want people talking about the fun things that they're doing not it's just another day and I really wish I was home and I you know I'm hurting today or I couldn't eat today or I didn't feel you want to have people talk about you know what I did today I'm not skiing off my bucket list you can't believe what they had us doing so yeah I think it's that energy it's a it's a tough time for therapists it's a tough time for uh, clinicians and it's a tough time for operators, but wow, I do not want to let the patient be the one that gets lost in the shuffle despite everybody else's woes. Yeah, no, that's a great way to look at it because it is like the only reason we have a job sometimes, right? Is because we're treating patients. <laughs> so we're, yeah, we're obligated to, to them primarily. To be their advocates oftentimes, especially now when people cannot visit. Yeah. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. So you work primarily, all your clinical life has been in more or less the dementia care. So I'm assuming like long-term care, SNFs, that sort of thing. It seems like, especially when I got into the game several years ago, that the, the productivity demands and the time demands, all that in that space are really bad and it leads to clinician burnout. How much of that affects you know, a clinician's willingness to say, try something new, reach for a, a new technology or a new treatment plan versus just batting a balloon or doing a cone or something like that. 
Yeah, I, that's, a, you know, that's a fantastic question. And I think the challenge is more about are people given the time to learn something new? Is yeah. it encouraged? Are we promoting continuing education the same way that we, we, we did years and years ago? Or are we putting that onus on the clinician to take their own level of engagement to learn something new and hoping they come back and, and try to, 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 to educate the rest of the team? So I think when you're not really given that time to learn and you feel like you always have to be perfect, it definitely is a barrier to, um, that's why, you know, I think I, one, one metric that people should evaluate since they evaluate productivity <laughs> is active participation from, from patients. You know, how many refusals, how many, you know, are, are people making progress towards their, their outcomes? Are they feeling that they're being given, uh, you know, quality attention and engagement. I think if that was a metric that we tracked uh, and balanced out against productivity, I think things would be a little bit different. But I will tell you, everybody is looking for that new innovation. They want something that's going to help uh, accelerate outcomes, um, give more data, be able to take that data and streamline best practices. So let me let me not downplay the importance of the fact that people are looking for innovation. I think what you and I are talking about is the challenge that if you throw innovation uh, to a team that's an underperforming team, uh, it doesn't go anywhere. It ends up on a shelf or it ends up yeah, unused. Exactly. But if a leader can develop a high-performing team and then select the right kind of technology, they'll do things they've never done before. And that I think is the, 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 the per trying to find the perfect fit of a product yeah. and a, and a customer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I don't, I've read a little bit of Peter Drucker every now and then, and he, he talks about um, the, the necessity of innovation, obviously in a field, but the, the very idea that efficiency and innovation are sort of polarizing, right? Like inefficiency by its nature is or not inefficiency but innovation by its nature is not efficient right because you're trying out what works you're trying out what doesn't work you know sometimes it's a failure sometimes it's it works and you get you know great results so how do you balance that when you're talking about bringing something like restore or something like a new tool a new technology into a workplace because you're inherently there's going to be a little bit of growing pains right of learning how to use it and get it set up and what's the best way and our patient's going to like it or clinician's going to use it that sort of thing so, so I'll just throw one, one other thought your way with the point that you're making is now that I'm on the technology development side, I am realizing technology is developing faster than ever to work around people who are resistive to technology. Yeah. <laughs> so those who are failing to embrace are actually the catalyst, but you're right. It makes the fit a struggle because you can't, you can't start with that, right? I can't just say, oh, we don't need therapists any longer because we now have this product. You need the therapists. You need to study the tendencies. You need to, to understand what gets the best outcomes. You need the data. And then you can introduce smart learning and, and uh, ways to, to, to perhaps move past some of the sluggish or laggards, the yeah. late adopters, uh, in the technology side. So I, I think, again, um, it, it's more about finding the right individual for the right technology or innovation. It's, you know, the right product, the right service. It's not for everybody. I'll just share, I had a funny story for me. Uh, when I was in occupational therapy school, we were learning about electrical stimulation and someone had put a, 
couple of electrodes to move my biceps, get my arm to contract. And uh, it was time to turn the device off and my partner turned it the other way and my arm jerked up all over my head and was shaking and she ran out of the room and my teacher had to come over and turn off the unit. Well, let me just say, I'm not your person for modalities today. That, 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 that scarred me, even though I see the value. It's for you, Rafi, or other people. Yeah. It's not gonna be for me. I'll, I'll, I'll stick with what, what I'm not traumatized by. But you have to still find that right champion for that right uh, technology fit. And it can be very difficult. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, how do you go about finding that person? Is it more of like a, uh, a direct outreach? Are you doing some kind of survey? Are you like, how, how do you find that person who will be your champion if you're going to introduce something like a restore or some kind of technology into a, a clinic? Well, the decision for restore is typically that um, a customer has recognized that there's a need to be a little bit more innovative and engaging and to enhance that experience and to accelerate outcomes. So the decision to bring it into a clinic, for example, um, you know, the decisions are all for the right reasons, but the people who are making the decision maybe are not yeah. the team that will be using it. So it really is trying to identify never just one person, but maybe, maybe two or three potential champions that can verbalize why they're interested and why that might be something they would be passionate about. And to let them know, I think you brought up the point, it's okay to try and not succeed. It's okay to take the time to learn. We're gonna give you a little bit of a, of a reprieve on your productivity, maybe the first month that you're trying to adopt this and learn it. And then we expect that it's gonna become second nature and you'll become uh, train the trainer and, and so on. But the other challenge is sometimes we have run into situations where there is not a team member that has a comfort level with video games or technology or computers. And um, we, 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 do, we are honest in saying to the, to the client, they may need to hire someone else, but we may need to put this on hold until we can find the right person for the right fit. Uh, forcing it doesn't doesn't do good for anyone, and it gives people the wrong impression about you know, the performance of our product. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't even thought about that because we have been in the world of like electronic medical records and everything. So it's it's funny to think of somebody being like, "Oh no, I can't do that. It's on the computer." <laughs> yeah. But they're they're but, out but there. That, but you know, the funny part is that's some of our success stories. And when we talk about a product that 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 should lead to patient engagement and outcomes, we forget that a win can still be at the therapist level. I yeah. tried something new. I learned a new thing. I had fun today yeah. in my day. I'm more motivated to come to work and I may stay with this company who has given me and opened my eyes to a whole new world. And wow, I could carry over what I learned at work with my own kids or grandkids or have fun with, you know, that, that, that's the, we've had a lot of success stories with therapists who said, I was afraid of technology and you guys forced me to give this a try. It was a lot more fun than I thought it would be. And let me give you some suggestions about ways you can improve and you get, that's the best. That's the best when you have somebody who was afraid and now all of a sudden they're giving you all the ways that you you should make improvements to the, to the product. Yeah. You haven't bought in, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So I guess, Moving forward, like just introducing tech or introducing some kind of technology or platform into a clinic that where maybe 
the standard of care is something very protocolized. I'm thinking like sniff is a good example. Outpatient rehab is another one where it's like, Hey, do 15 exercises of this. And then, you know, you will stretch you, we'll put some heat on you or whatever, and then you'll be good. How do you begin to shift the mindset? Do you try to take the, the technology and work it into that protocol? Or are you trying to really like, blow it up and be like, no, this is, this is how you should be doing it and give them a new frame for doing, doing business if you would. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little bit of both, right? There are going to be people that you've introduced this to that are struggling just to get out of the gate. Maybe it's not the, I don't want it. Maybe it's the, I don't need it mentality. Cause I have all these other options. Yeah. Well, maybe we need to limit those options. Maybe if I go into the, uh, if I go to work, and there's this, uh, the number one thing I have people do is reach for, everybody reaches for cones during my treatment day. As a manager, maybe I want to take the cones away for a week and I want to, you know, challenge yes. or, or, or maybe it's at lunch and we say, hey guys, you know, reaching for cones is, is okay. Uh, what could be some ways that we might be able to use something like Restore to get the same kind of movement pattern? Could we use Restore and have them rock climbing to the top of an ancient temple with the same motions? Could we have them flying a plane uh, with the same motions? What are ways we could do something that's going to be more fun, engaging, enjoyable for everyone and probably get them to stand longer, move more, smile more, refuse less? Yeah. Um, I think so you have, you have the nature of having to, to, to limit people's options. But other than that, we absolutely have people that will integrate restore into a protocol. So if I was working on a skill with a patient such as self-feeding and they needed to practice, well, patients who, who, who are having difficulty feeding themselves, as, as I would assume you would imagine, are not that motivated yeah. when it comes time to, you know, no one went from a dignity standpoint to rely on someone else to help me get through a meal or to open my containers or to, you know, uh, put food in my mouth is, is, is I'm, I'm a foodie, uh, Rafi. So uh, <laughs> that's definitely an area of dignity for me. So instead of going right to practicing a meal, you know, what's great is restore works with any red, green, or blue rounded object. The webcam detects the red, green, or blue rounded object, and that becomes the controller on a game. So if I have a strawberry that I'm having to hold on to, or, or a grape, or a cherry tomato, or, or something like that, that I'm practicing different finger uh, prehension for finger foods and practicing the movements and sustaining the movements in the game. Now I know I have the ability to hold the food item and I have the endurance to, and activity tolerance to be able to bring it to my mouth. I could also hold a utensil and have, you know, whether it's red, green, or, or blue uh, Play-Doh or something on the other end, and I could have just them practicing holding the utensil and playing a slot machine or a game for five minutes. Now they're building up that endurance, that coordination, and then follow it up with a self-feeding activity where they're actually trying to bring food to mouth. And you now they have the confidence. They know they can do it. Uh, and, and now that they, maybe that it was that confidence boost that was yeah, the to key to their motivation home. that now they're, now they're going to, and there's, when you see the look on somebody's face when they've achieved something that they didn't think was possible, it's priceless. It really is. Yeah, no, it's great. And it sounds like a lot of those treatments using tools like this are moving really into that, 
you know, the, the payment models are changing and people are moving into value-based care. And I'm assuming something like this, a tool, a technology that's allowing people to do that fits more in line with some of those, right? It, it does. And, and, you know, you're going to, you're going to get a lot of data. The challenges for therapists is what do I, what do I do with all the data? Yeah, That's a good problem to have because I don't remember the last amount of data that a balloon ever told me uh, you know, <laughs> how hard somebody was hitting it, how, how many times, uh, if they did use proper form, if they succeeded, you know, so it's trying to find a balance. You, you don't want to over protocol something like this. You want to give people that opportunity to access it, play it how they want to be a part of the action. I think that's the other thing that therapists do minimize is the importance of what's called patterning behavior. So if I had somebody that I wanted to, to work on standing and lateral mobility and squatting, and I just put them in front of a, a game or a mirror or, or, or something like that uh, and said, you know, let, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to get limited results. If I actually demonstrate for the player is what we affectionately refer to patients <laughs> as, if I, if I actually take a turn myself and I demonstrate what's required in the movements of the game, now it's the patient or player's turn. They do so much better. And the therapist, it's, you know, that's billable, Rafi. That's, that's therapy. That's the right thing to do. I think therapists worry that if I took a turn, uh, oh, that's just me, me, uh, that, that, that's irresponsible. What's the opposite? your patients are actually going to do much better when they see, they understand, they can mirror, they can pattern uh, what's expected of them. And, and, and so I do encourage that. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think that's true. Like it is, we as clinicians should be kind of modeling or guiding our patients through, right? It's not just do this, this is how you do it. Go and go and go and do 50 reps or whatever. Like, being there right next to him, standing up and down or leaning side to side gets them engaged, right? Yeah, the, the, one, of the, one of the challenges that often gets communicated to us is, well, we tried it with some patients and they just didn't get it. They didn't understand what to do. They got frustrated and I don't, they, they, they didn't like it. And you're saying, well, just putting someone in front of a game and saying good luck yeah. <laughs> is not real. Number one, that's not great. But number two, it's not that's not skilled, right? So as a therapist, my job is to be alongside the player, offering tactile, visual, verbal, cognitive yeah. cues that will help them experience success and not frustration, and then try to back those cues down so I can see what their best ability uh, to function and perform is. When, when, there have been times that someone will see what I'm working when I when I when I was able to go to the clinic and work with patients and show them uh, the level of engagement. Patients would often say, "I, I don't I don't want to play games." That's okay. I de that, you know as a therapist, I was I'm not there to play games. I'm there to work on functional skills. So I'll say to the individual, "Don't worry about the game." Here's the movements we're working on. Here's the things that we're, and here's, it's all in line with the, the game is just secondary to be a bit of a distraction. We're going to work through these movements. And every time, every time so far, I've had that, I will have a, a player turn to me at the end and say, wow, that was more motivating than I thought it was going to be. Because it was more of that fear. I'm afraid I'm not going to succeed. I'm afraid I'm not going to be good at it. So I'm going to tell you things like that's stupid, or I don't want to yeah. play. Or, I don't. But as a therapist, you have to, you have to understand when they legitimately do not want to play, 
or if they're just afraid that they won't succeed. And, and, and so then you shortchange them on missing out from something that really was going to help, again, accelerate their outcomes. Yeah. It all goes back to the, the people, right? People connection. It seems like oh, it comes up all the time when I'm doing these interviews and talking and people are like, no, you really just need to be empathetic and understand where the patient's coming and try to figure out where they're at, right? Like you as a clinician needs to understand, okay, this patient might be saying they don't want to play, but it's, is it really because they're scared of failing, right? You're, you're right. We, we had a, I have a, a story of a, uh, that came to me of um, a lady who has Parkinson's. So she has um, tremors. Uh, both throughout her body, but also in her face to the point where she's hard to understand. And she's so self-conscious about that, that forget COVID, she wasn't coming out of her room just because uh, she was feeling like she was being judged. But she did live near Atlantic City, uh, New Jersey. She did enjoy going and playing slot machines and and, uh, casino games. So we had a therapist uh, would take Restore to her room and engage her with uh, some casino type games. And the therapist pointed out to her, you won't believe this, Mary, but you've been playing for 15 minutes. Your tremors are are gone. Her tremors had subsided because she was engaged and immersed in the activity. Her, her, the the, the, uh, effects of the non-tremoring lasted another 10 or 15 minutes. Then the tremors came, would come back but she was able to actually communicate and be understood during that time. And we have a great picture of her holding up a t-shirt just saying, you know, you know, I love the winning, you know, the yeah. most. <laughs> and, 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 but other, otherwise you wouldn't have been able to understand her. You know, we had another gentleman who um, was quadriplegic after an accident. In other words, he really only had the ability to move his head and neck. And we had a very creative therapist come in and put a face shield over him with a little sticker that works as a controller at the top. And he was able to play our World Cup skiing game just with head and neck movement on the fastest speed and actually beat the therapist. To be honest, <laughs> even, even myself, Rafi, I probably would have said, well, a quadriplegic patient may not be a good candidate for Restore. And I was so happy that this therapist didn't shortchange this individual and he actually went home with restore because you can it's since it's a web-based program most of our clients are able to send uh, their customers home with restore if they desire for 30 to 60 days at at no added cost and and continue that adoption so wow finding something fun and engaging when your world is so limited uh and and you're really uh it's just a wonderful mission to be on today yeah, no, that's wonderful. And you did, you talked about the the lady with Parkinson's and and the tremor subsiding and all that. And I think we've talked a little bit about the research. What kind of research is out there for gamification and what it can do for patients getting better or not getting better or whatever? Yeah. So what's exciting is it's it's it really is a a whole new world that's opening up uh, for clinical advancement. The uh, Food and Drug Administration. Back in in June, uh, made the announcement that they had approved a video game for the first time uh, for the treatment of uh, ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity for um, kids in a certain age range. There's, uh, you know, we talked about my passion for dementia capable care, but there's a video game that's out today that is looking at early diagnostics for Alzheimer's by recognizing that the navigational skills are the first skills of the executive skills to be lost. 
And by having an individual play uh, this particular game, they can detect whether those skills uh, have been gone off, yeah. versus, hey, I just really have no sense of direction. It's not, <laughs> don't, don't give me the navigate versus, versus no sound. These, these, these are skills, particular skills that they are looking for and seeing early on. So you, you have, even with COVID recovery, you, you've got Johns Hopkins University uh, that, that, that's adopted uh, video gaming technology uh, for those who are recovering from, from COVID. So this, this is just, uh, it, 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 so whether it's the, the cognitive skill development, don't, you know, we're talking about memory, sustained attention, concentration, decision-making, problem solving, you know, judgment, these, these, these are all proven. Uh, you know, gamification is, is proven to, to enhance cognitive skills. And obviously, you don't have to look too far beyond Peloton and Mirror yeah. and the kinds <laughs> of things that are available, that the trends that are out there today that everybody wants to engage in to challenge their physical, physical skill set. So, Yeah, no, that's great. All right, Ian. Well, thanks for taking the time to be with us. If there's just one or two main takeaways you'd want for a listener, what would they be? I think I think it's it's wonderful today to be in a position as as a clinician to keep lo- the, my my patients connected to their loved ones. So I think it's a responsibility that we have. We we started by if we're just treating our our patient, but they're disconnected from that that touch and that that love and, and uh, you know, what, what a family who's visiting is really able to provide. Uh, I, I want to be the bridge to, to trying to keep that connection going as best I can. So I think the importance of restoring, we, got a, we have a launch of a, a, of a new part of our platform called Restore Together, which as I was mentioning, really allows families to, to interact with their, whether it's through a Zoom platform or Teams or Skype, uh, but now we're, we're, we're starting next week. We're actually going to give people the opportunity to play and interact alongside each other. They don't need a, a Zoom or a team call. Uh, but I, I think I think you asked me about what's the takeaway. The takeaway is is that um, putting the patient first, the patient experience first, and you know keeping families connected, being transparent. Uh, the outcomes will will follow. But I, I appreciate you having me on today to to kind of share. Yeah, thanks. Where can people find out about you, about Restore, about y'all's work? Yeah, well, certainly, certainly the website, RestoreSkills.com. Uh, um, but uh, more than more than happy to give you some information if you don't mind after after sure, and, yeah. and and uh, having you share that with the with yeah, your we'll audience. post it on the show notes and everybody can go there. So, thanks very much. Have a good one. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with. Ian Opel from Restore Skills talking about the topic of how do we get individual clinicians or a team of clinicians or even a department within a greater healthcare system to adopt some sort of new technology or new treatment technique or even a new service delivery method, right? Going back and listening to this again, so a little inside baseball here, I've had a backlog of interviews that I've had to edit but I'm trying to stick firm to my every other week uh, release schedule while simultaneously kind of spinning up this clinic that I purchased and, and growing it and expanding it, that sort of thing. So I'm 
been tied up here, there, and everywhere on top of the work that I do with clients through rehab use. But anyways, I'm I'm listening to this episode again as I'm interviewing as I'm as I'm editing it, and um, one of the points that Ian brought up that now I'm I've seen and I've understood on the on the consulting side of things, you know, doing work with the Department of Behavioral Health here in Georgia and even with clients through rehab U is very one, you know, you see one end of things and now I'm seeing it as a boots on the ground uh, leader, clinic leader, if you would, trying to make decisions to improve care and having to get the team on board with it. One of the things that he said was that the one of the big challenges that they have at Restore when they're bringing on a new client, for example, is having people make the decisions that aren't necessarily going to be the ones carrying out those decisions, right? They're going to be people that are not affected by them, so to speak, in the long run. They might see something. They might see it's a really cool idea. They might see the value of it. So they make the decision. They pull the trigger. They purchase you know, whatever software it is or implement some new workflow. But they're not the ones implementing it. That's somebody else. And that can be a real stumbling block for a team that's trying to not only get the work done that they're normally getting done, meet productivity demands, uh, deliver empathetic, personalized, and individualized care to clients, and then you're throwing on this new workflow, right? It can be very challenging. And it brings to mind something that happened when I was still at the Department of Veterans Affairs, and it was an idea that somebody somewhere, probably in Washington, had that was going to make Um, What was it going to make? It was going to make scheduling patients, um, checking them into their appointments, giving them information about their appointments and their upcoming scans or labs or whatever it is. It was going to be kind of a a one-stop shop in the form of a kiosk. So uh, the way it would work is a a veteran would come in to the waiting room of of a clinic that they had an appointment with, and they would sign in at this kiosk, and this kiosk would not only check them in for the for the clinic and let them let them know that the patient was there and they're ready to be seen, but it would also have a whole bunch of information that the patient could access, whether it be uh, maybe a secure message or maybe uh, a receipt or an invoice for maybe a copay that they had that they had to pay or that they had outstanding, or maybe even upcoming appointments. So it was supposed to be a one-stop shop. And in theory, it was a great idea. The problem was whoever made this decision up in Washington, or in, they, they're not corporate, but you know what I'm saying, like the big, the, at the Department of Veterans uh, Health Administration, the VHA office, made this decision, did not do a really good job of telling anybody that it was going to happen, and then just rolled it out. So one day, <laughs> we're, we're treating patients, we're trying to get work done, and these maintenance folks show up with a kiosk system that they put in the clinic and that was it, right? And now this is an extreme example of how not to do it. But so they, they set this kiosk up. They tell us, okay, it's going to be great. The patients are going to be able to log in. They're going to be able to do X, Y, Z. And we're thinking, yeah, but who's going to show the patient how to do this, right? And of course, day one rolls around. They installed them on a Friday. Come Monday, there's like a line of patients. They're all trying to figure out how to log in. No one really knows how. They had done some kind of rollout at some extent across the VA hospital. And some of us that were in kind of the leadership roles got a little bit of a training, but even then, and we didn't have enough time to roll it out to our, our clinic, our clinical staff or even our support staff. So it ended up being a real big bottleneck, this thing that could have really been a positive 
and a, a value add, if you would, to patients showing up to their appointments became a real hindrance, a hindrance in them getting checked in, a hindrance in them being able to access information that they would have otherwise been able to ask a, a front office personnel for when there were stories, and this happened in the clinic that I was kind of lead clinician of for a while, that there, there would be somebody who missed their appointment, or at least we would think they missed their appointment, and we would go in and they'd be sitting in either the waiting room for our clinic or the waiting room for a clinic across the hall, and we'd say, oh, you know, Mr. Smith, what happened to you? <laughs> And they would say, well, I tried to log in on that kiosk, but I couldn't figure it out. So I just, you know, came and sat down and figured you'd come and get me uh, and things like that. So it was a, a rollout that had some gaps in the planning, both on the patient side, training the patients how to use it. But then on the clinician side or the on the staff side, um, rolling out the training for one, how do we implement this efficiently? What are the shortcuts we can use? what kind of, as Ian said, what kind of accommodations are going to be made as far as productivity productivity and utilization? Like, are we going to give staff that are rolling this out some kind of break on that? Are we going to try to hold them to the same standards, which would be a little unrealistic if you think about it? And all of these things, these factors in implementing something new need to be taken into account when you're rolling out either a new initiative or a new piece of technology or a new tool, if you would, that's going to quote unquote, make life easier for either patients or for clients um, or clinicians, because it might seem like it would on paper, but without the planning and without the, the, the lead time or the runway, whatever you want to call it, up to the rollout, if that's not thought out enough that you have sufficient buy-in, sufficient adoption, maybe even you need to employ some Concepts from behavioral change. Go look and, and read that uh, read that article at Rehab U Practice Solutions about behavioral change and how important that is to get adoption. If you're not taking that into consideration before you're rolling something out or starting a new initiative, you're going to have problems. So, anyways, that's all I've got on that. If you like the show, uh, there's two things that I would ask you to do. The first thing would be to head on over to www.betteroutcomes.show and sign up there to receive the updates whenever we drop a new episode. It's usually every other week. Sometimes we'll drop a bonus episode on the off weeks. You can sign up there and be kept in the loop. But also, if you like it, I'd really like for you to go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. It really helps people find the show, find out about the show, and helps us promote the message. So anyways, that's all I've got. Um, Until the next time, guys, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.